0: This is Coda Radio, episode 359 for May 27th, 2019. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. My name is Wes, and yes, I'm back, and very pleased to be joined once again with Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Buenas tardes, Senor Wes. Oh, Mike, I was in Barcelona where they speak Catalan, not Spanish. But nice try. Yes. Um, Big, big shout out to the one, the only Mr. Chris Fisher for covering for me last week. I was attending KubeCon slash CloudNativeCon. It's a really big mouthful in the EU over in Barcelona. That was that was lots of fun. But I was sad to be gone from this here show, though you guys did a great job and only talked about the Mac bro a teeny tiny bit.
1: Yes, we, we showed an admirable restraint. However, Wes, you did leave me for more than 24 hours. Yeah, I know. And and there are consequences to that. So I'm prepared. I I may have wandered into a white place.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll get you back. And maybe the best way to do that is let's just start out with some feedback. Now, this is feedback about the previous episode, so I'm going to claim no responsibility. But still, it's great feedback over at our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. That's how you get there. Our longtime friend, Mr. Tom Enom, writes to us about Marzipan and Electron. In the discussion of Marzipan and Electron, honestly, I think the answer is WK WebView, which just arrived in Mac OS 10.10. Now, before we go any deeper, Mike, can you tell me a little bit more? Like, What is this
1: WK WebView? On Cocoa Touch for iOS, there was a class called UI WebView which is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's a view that has a um, oh god, what did Apple call their rendering engine back then? It's not Gecko, right? No, yeah, no,
0: that's Firefox. But okay, so it's just a it's a UI view that has a little a web browsing component in it.
1: Yeah, but it was you know, because it was Apple, it was basically a very very nerfed web view. So WK web is basically a real web view. I don't even know how to put it. I mean, there's a bunch of performance implications of it over UI web view. It brings iOS much more on par with say Android and you know, I won't say mobile versions of Windows, but like Windows in a touch interface and how they handle PWAs. But you know, it's iOS. So there's still, it's a lot better. And I definitely, um, I think, I think, uh, uh, Tom and I makes a lot of good points in his post. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's just simplify this down, right? Because we, we don't need to go into like how mobile Safari does or doesn't embrace web standards. Um, I would say WK WebView is a more standards compliant, much more performant, significantly more performant WebView than UI WebView, which was its predecessor and previously the only way to put embedded web content in iOS.
0: Mm, okay, I see. So instead of using something maybe like Electron then you could use this
1: more more native component where I guess there'd just be less overhead? Well, no, not exactly. So a- anytime in iOS, and let's say you were writing an Objective-C back in the bad old days, um, your only choice for any kind of web interface was UI WebView. So it doesn't matter what like JavaScript dependencies you're using.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Okay, I see.
1: You're confined to the performance and to the... Um, uh, frankly, the abilities. And at the time, you got to remember, I'm going back years now. Um, UI, just, uh, mobile Safari just wasn't as standards compliant as the Android equivalent was. Uh, yes, I remember these complaints. Right.
0: Interesting. Okay. And, and, you know, Tom also points out some stuff. There's there's Windows has things like WinForms and, and WPF applications. And of course, um, on kind of the other side of the fence, Google's been making some big moves with Flutter. Now, I haven't really had a chance, Tom hasn't either, to play too much with Flutter, but now that they've got, you know, some desktop environment, uh, you know, they can render things out to the desktop, that sounds pretty compelling, at least for, perhaps, Electron haters out there. Have you tried it at all, Mike?
1: Not yet. I mean, there's, you know, can I make a confession? Yes, you can. All right, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm actually coming around to Electron.
0: Oh, now I've been waiting for this. Okay. Okay. You heard it right here. Episode 359. Please go on. What do you
1: mean? What does is, what is coming around mean? Where did you start and where are you now? I, I run macOS and desktop Linux, right? Uh, in the form of pop OS. On both of those platforms, and frankly, even on Windows, you're running a ton of Electron apps, right? A la Slack.
0: Yes. I mean, I'm certainly in that position.
1: Right. And I, I have like 10 Slack teams. Like I'm you know, there's so many apps um, on Windows. My email client is Electron on Mac, or I'm sorry, on um, Pop. It's the same one because it's MailSpring. So I've just kind of embraced Electron. Now, I still have lots of criticisms that I'm not going to go over again because they're well documented. But the answer to like the vast majority of my problems with Electron is WebAssembly. If it were just less resource intensive, I think I would be okay. And frankly, I think we are, I mean, I'm curious, actually, Wes, if you would agree with this statement, JavaScript performance is just going to be solved by time, right? As WebAssembly is adopted more, this becomes a negligible problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by JavaScript performance.
1: Um, if you mean sort of
0: runtimes associated with, with JavaScript, I and mean, there's probably some limitations. I mean, V8's, V8 is already pretty pretty amazing technology, Um. I do think you're right. The combination of WebAssembly and existing JavaScript techniques, you can, you know, because they kind of play in the same space, you can have success stories of, oh, I took my, you know, super optimized C++ application, got it to run on WebAssembly. It did some of the really needed, you know, the hot paths of code, stuff you really had to get fast, and then JavaScript sits on top and sort of orchestrates everything. Now, we'll probably also see some pure WebAssembly stuff, but I imagine that'll be the minority.
1: Well, I'm not sure that it will be, though, right? So, in fact, you just like dovetailed into where I was going with it. I look at projects like Project Uno, which is a XAML.NET UWP-ish port for WebAssembly and other platforms. And granted, if you're not a .NET lover like I am, you know, pick your technology. I'm sure there's a WebAssembly port of it. Why shouldn't people in, let's say, two to three years just target WebAssembly and run it in some sort of Electron like container? Right? I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but maybe Electron in name is not going to work out. But the idea of just compiling to this open standard of WebAssembly and running it basically wherever the hell you want, there will be compromises. I'm not, you know, I'm not being naive. Like, it's not going to be perfect. Like, if somebody sits there and like finally crafts an elementary OS or a Mac OS app, sure, that will be better than your WebAssembly app in terms of user experience. But if you're just building a line of business software and you want a desktop application, um, I I struggle to see too many cases where I would ever recommend to somebody that they not look at a WebAssembly solution. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean JavaScript, right? Just like with my platform Uno um, example or Avalonia those are are .dot NET powered examples. I don't know. I, I think this is maybe in two to three years where we're all going to be. It's and frankly, I think it's a beautiful world. You're a developer. You enjoy certain technologies. Do what you like and compile it to WebAssembly, and you will get reasonable performance and reasonable access to native APIs. No, I, th- I mean I think you're spot on. I, I
0: hadn't quite thought about it that way, but but you're you're right. I mean. It's sort of what Java maybe could have been in some ways if we do have this dream of a you know a nice universal minimal runtime layer that you can target and still get you know very efficient things that lets you bottom out into really nice optimized code Having and it does s- seem like when we're talking about electron right we've already kind of thrown out native apps out of the window or at least totally native applications, but what about marzipan Wesp <laughs> but what about marzipan, yeah? <laughs> No, I think you guys had some pretty astute observations there, and yeah, okay, maybe it'll let you get a couple more sales on the Mac, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it's going to have the same sort of universal appeal. At least that was my take.
1: Yeah. I mean, having said that, um, I believe this once before when I was super junior running Java applets, and again, I am still sorry for what I did. Um, but yeah, it'll. this time will be different, right, guys? Oh, I can certainly hope so. I'm, it's interesting to hear you say that,
0: though. I mean, I guess, is that the main object, objection most people have to Electron? I know there's, seems like there's kind of two camps. One is there's a sort of a philosophical camp that we shouldn't be doing things this way. It's bloated and, and wasteful, and it just sort of feels gross. And then there's the other camp, like maybe you just run on a machine and you have a lot of that, and so it's a practical argument that I just don't like having 10 copies of Chrome running at once.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, the philosophical argument Maybe there will always be a market for like high end native applications, sure, and maybe there will be some use cases where native is going to be better. But I, I think the strongest argument against Electron right now is that you're running ten instances of Chrome, just like you said. I, I, you know, for me, I, I don't know how I could do my job without running Electron. Right, I work in VS Code all the time. I have Slack open constantly. If the computer is on, Slack is open. Um, and God knows what else is like Mailspring's springs, electron, right? There's all these other applications that are electron that I'm probably using without knowing. Right. I mean, I mean,
0: just the, the idea, the barrier to entry is so much lower. If you can combine all these web technologies that you're already fluent in and ship them without having to learn several new, you know, native development environments, it's just not going to happen. And then what, you, then you start making decisions because you have limited manpower of which platforms do you target instead of. Using something like Electron and being able to target all of them.
1: Yeah, and I, and I also think as a again as we move towards the WebAssembly future, Electron's a pretty good stopgap app, um, and there's no reason Electron apps couldn't eventually embrace WebAssembly, which I think it's where they're going.
0: Well said, and really, this kind of touches on a lot of topics. We've covered everything from you know like web development to, to native app development. I saw you put out a little poll recently on Twitter, Mr. Dominic, and it might have a few implications for this here show.
1: Yeah, so I was asking um, our audience, now I know only a small percentage uh, actually follows on Twitter, but, you know, what do you want to see more of on the show? Uh, Mobile dev, web dev, esoteric languages, and indie biz dev topics. I amazingly... Um, if web dev came in at thirty five percent as the winner, but biz topics came in at thirty two. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty close, yeah. And then esoteric languages
0: followed a little bit, lagging way behind. Is mobile dev down there at eleven percent? Is this what you expected, or is uh, or this, or is this interesting to you?
1: So going in, I thought esoteric languages was going to win. Um, I was actually surprised. I thought. Mm-hmm. Dead last was going to be indie biz topics and mobile was going to be second to last. And it turned out it was web dev that won, esoteric languages. I'm sorry, biz topics second, um, esoteric languages, and then 11%, 11% mobile dev. Which is disappointing for someone who's been writing an iOS app that he's going to be launching in about a month.
0: Is that just because mobile's become sort of passe? Even though we're still all using it, you know, I mean, we're still installing applications. We still use our phones every darn day. Or is that just because more and more has shifted to the back end and mobile clients are sort of thin clients?
1: Well, I I mean, certainly some of it probably has to do with audience composition, right? Um, But I, I would argue that mobile has become an implementation detail. Uh, I mean, granted, this coming Monday is WWDC's keynote, so maybe Apple will launch something that's like so earth-shattering that we'll have to do an emergency live, whatever. I doubt that very much. Like, I think you're going to have to endure me talking about a Mac Pro, and I will dunk on marzipan. That'll probably be about it. I want to be wrong, though. I would love more productivity iPad apis so that we can have our star trek future
0: yeah i mean that, that would be nice I, I, I need that interface man i need it
1: yeah but the, the, you know i mean i don't want to get into this again because we've talked about it on tons of episodes but the just the limitations that ios puts up make some of those types of productivity functionality very challenging i think um so i don't know i think i don't know what are your thoughts i mean i i, I guess i'm just saying mobile's mature but that might be a lame answer
0: yeah, uh, that's fair. I,
1: I guess it's not—it's not changing
0: that much. So if you've already sort of figured it out, then okay, there's not that. There's there's even less exciting new frameworks and stuff than there might be for regular programming. Uh, what struck me when I was looking at this is I, I was just kind of curious. How do you define web dev? What what fits under that umbrella?
1: Yeah, I didn't like that category, but it, I I I didn't want to complicate it too much. Um, basically anything in the browser, but I also felt that uh, WebAssembly should have been its own category. You're really hot on
0: WebAssembly. I like this. I am. Have you have you shipped anything in it yet?
1: Oh no, no, no nothing other than like little tinker toys to play around with it.
0: Do you have one uh, use case you've been looking forward to that you uh, expect to be using? Where you, I mean, you're just going to either it enables something fundamentally different, or you can offload. It seems like there's kind of there's this new universal runtime where there's different workflows, and there's also people just offloading JavaScript to make it faster.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in, in uh, you know, mixed OS environments, it's going to be a way to deliver a line of business apps that are much more performant and, frankly, less crappy than what um, than we currently can do without writing natively or using some weird bridge framework. So, Well said, sir. Well said.
0: All right, well, you can go contribute, take that poll if you like, and, of course, um, reach out to us and let us know about you know, how you like what we're covering or the areas that maybe we should be covering more. You can find the best ways to get in touch over at coder.show slash contact. Mike, it's unfortunate, but I, I think I think we need to talk about titles. And and maybe we could start with me asking you, because I don't, I don't really know. I, I tend to make up titles for you. But how do you describe yourself to others? Are, are you a, a programmer? An entrepreneur, an independent consultant. What, what are you? And, uh, what do you think about titles in our industry?
1: Um, well, I usually describe myself as extremely tired, but beyond that, yeah, I, I never say programmer. I hate, I don't say entrepreneur unless I really have to or I'm filling out a LinkedIn profile. Um, I think I say software developer, sometimes software engineer. I don't say app developer because if you've ever been to a cocktail party, you tell people you're an app developer, they don't leave you alone. Uh, that's why it's a little precautionary principle in play. Yeah. Well, how about you? Well, how do you how do you put it?
0: Yeah, I guess I mean programmer's not very well rec- recognized, and it sounds a bit simplistic. Um, you have software developer, and that's true, but I mean, developer is just sort of a, a weird term. I mean, it doesn't doesn't really capture stuff so i think the industry oftentimes ends up falling back on engineer but as, a, as an article you pointed me at over at the atlantic points out and i think rightfully so if we are engineers it's a very different sort of engineering than what that term has come to mean in oh i don't know every other industry and and i'm, I'm more curious because i think you might have an interesting take on this as someone who works in you know aviation related fields that are kind of exemplars of the discipline and practices enjoyed in those other engineering fields that just don't really apply to software.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely have some takes on this. Um, so we had an episode where we discussed this years ago, right after the healthcare marketplace, the, um, what is it, the uh, Affordable Care Act marketplace launched here in the States. Lots of big
0: contracts going down to get that built and then huge implementation issues.
1: Yeah. And there was a big movement, particularly among the software craftsmanship uh, movement. And you can go back to the tweets and the blog posts written by people back then um, to basically say that software engineering, which I'm just going to use the term to simplify here, should be a licensed engineering field. I, at the time, pretty vehemently disagreed with that. I still disagree with it. One, engineers. So, uh, the author of this Atlantic post basically is ma- – we, we should be fair to them, right? They're, they're making uh, – Ian Bogos, I hope I'm saying your name right, Ian, is making the argument that what he calls engineers are in most states in the United States and most territories in Europe and you know, in most places, to my knowledge, required to be licensed by the government. That is true. That hasn't always been true. So, To me, and first of all, it depends on what type of engineer, like, and also there are, like, lots of engineers who work for a licensed engineer that aren't licensed. So, one, I think he's mostly talking, and he talks about building bridges and, like, basically basic infrastructure. He's really talking about civil civil engineering. And Wes is right that in aerospace there are such a thing as licensed engineers, and that's great. That's a thing that could be good. I kind of don't believe in licensing as a concept. Um, At the risk of, like, espousing some crazy libertarian philosophy here, you know, by, uh, by Mr. Bogo's requirements here, Leonardo da Vinci would have been disqualified for any of his work, you know, basically all of his work, right? It would have been unacceptable. He's a jackass. Thank you. And... So, would like Euclid, you know, Euclid, the guy who gave us a bunch of basic arithmetic and geometry we have now. I, I sort of think this is like, yes, Silicon Valley bros who are making stupid apps about like making the lives of 20 somethings easier to like do nothing are not really engineers in my mind, but it is not some mortal sin that they call themselves engineers. And, you know, now, would we really have to make some sort of deline- delineation? So, like, for instance, I'm writing an iOS app to sell under the Mad Botter. So, that would be code monkey work. But when I'm writing radars for fighter jets, I'm an engineer. Is that, is that like, the am I an engineer sometimes, but not other times? Right. That's a great, that, that makes me think. I mean,
0: part of this is, is software is, is just big and flexible, right? So if you're in the industry of of making big structures, bridge building or, you know, building skyscraper or something, I wonder how much more or less variance there is, right? It's from app development, say, to writing software for for planes, right? Those can be very different fields. I, I do wonder, is there something to this argument, though, and maybe it has to do with some of the specificity here, that, you know, there's just not that many playbooks. I mean, you can go buy a number of books that you want, but I'm not sure we have the same level of agreed upon practices or standards in the industry. Software just feels so fluid. And there's been a lot of progress on stuff like formal verification and, you know, statically typed languages and, and fancier compilers to try to make that less so. But I'm just not sure we've outgrown the sort of notion that we are just, you know, we're making web apps. If we break stuff, it's not that big a deal. I mean, we'll fix it. We just got to move fast and keep adding features. And is, is that sort of fundamentally different than uh, sort of purity and approach to things that is more considered and practiced.
1: It could be. I mean, but I wouldn't even say we've outgrown or we haven't outgrown the notion because in the 70s anything we would have called a software engineer today wasn't in fact an engineer by uh by Bogos's definition, right? So I don't know. I I would almost argue like t- to me his argument is weak because it's the wrong argument. Like, I don't agree with what I'm about to say, but I can make a very strong argument uh, for it, that software engineers ought to be licensed, right? I think that would destroy innovation and be terrible. But to me, that's a much stronger position than saying these Silicon Valley bros, which is basically who he's complaining about here, shouldn't call themselves engineers. It's like It's like getting mad at people who... You know, like, wear things they they maybe don't have the right to wear. You know, I know a guy who gets very mad when he sees some kids, young kids, at a style where, like, um, derelict or imitation, like, military jackets, right? And some people get all pissed off about that. It doesn't matter, right? Like, it, is it really – let me ask you, Wes. Does it really hurt anyone if some, frankly, dumbass or douchebag working on some stupid hookup app in California – calls himself an engineer, even though he's just writing JavaScript. Hey, hey, we need that hookup m- app, Mike. Don't get
0: judgmental on us. No, it's not. A, that's my point. It doesn't matter. I mean, there is there is something that matters about the discourse, but you're right. Like, arguing against it in this way is probably not going to change anything. I, I wonder if it makes some interesting distinctions in, in the different tech fields, though. Um, say, network engineering comes to mind. That feels like it's a little closer, right? I mean, oftentimes, there are... Best practices that are standardized, right? Or you have big playbooks from equipment vendors that you're provided. Software, at least in you know in in new industries, is a little more. You you hit it on the head there. You know, craftsman like there is this unlike in engineering. Say software is oftentimes reinventing itself or at the forefront of what is current best practices. And really, we haven't been doing this very long, right? I mean, how long has modern software?
1: existed 70s basically
0: in a blink of a blink of an eye yeah exactly so it seems like we're still also having to experiment a lot to just figure out what the heck we're even doing
1: yeah i mean what's interesting to me and what i'm a little surprised he doesn't call for in this post in the atlantic is i would agree like you know i used to be adamantly against the software craftsmanship people but i was just wrong west is right who is right west is right Oh, it's even worse. Uh, you know, some sort of more formalized processes of like apprenticeship or, you know, these are the way we do things. Focusing on how you get things done, not just hacking things together and getting them done would be very beneficial. We And uh, Bogos, again, correctly says there have been a number of disasters, right? The healthcare marketplace, Equifax was a, was a software issue. And this is all getting more important, right? Like,
0: software is only becoming more and more a part of our lives and tied into systems that matter
1: more as a result. Absolutely. I mean, a, a bug in a credit rating agency's web portal could actually stop you from buying a house or buying a car. Yeah, yeah,
0: you're absolutely right. That's terrifying. That's devastating. Especially as someone who's worked on software. like that—that that, that is just scary because, I mean, software
1: doesn't work? Is that, is that too strong? Well, I, I yeah, I, no, everything's broken and burning on fire. What's the next topic? <laughs> uh, so you don't see any
0: um, long-term, long-term title or nomenclature changes coming out of this argument?
1: No, I mean, you know, I used to be scared of the title software engineer because I was afraid of, like, being forced to go through licensing and stuff like that. That might be bad for me. But I've been doing this so long that I just don't care. If people want to call themselves software engineers fine you know i think i more and more i think i've been doing it myself because i just really don't want to say like app developer one because it's partially not true i don't spend that much time writing mobile apps um but yeah i don't know i mean i i would what would the correct title be i guess
0: i'm not sure we have an agreed upon one uh, and that's sort of what's missing from this argument i guess it's it's easy to say we shouldn't be using this but i I don't know where we go from there so i expect things will stay the same
1: like ironically the the title i hate most is coder <laughs> yes right which for the host of Coder radio is great but
0: software engineering radio you
1: mean that exists and that's somebody else <laughs>
0: Uh so we had to you know second choice option maybe maybe third choice because it's, it's that
1: stupid jonathan colton song code monkey get up yeah that one <laughs> yes
0: exactly well, all right. I think, I think, by and large, I agree with you. Uh, I am curious to see how the practice of software development and engineering proceeds, and if we do reach a place of more rigorous standards or, you know, at least more consensus within the industry, but doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon.
1: they can't agree on tabs or spaces, so
0: good luck. Now, one area there has been some consensus, not entire consensus, but at least a majority, that's where you keep your code. And by and large, these days, where else, it's it's GitHub. Now, while I was off gallivanting around Europe, some news came out. GitHub announced something called Sponsors. What, what's going on here, Mike? Yes,
1: yeah, so you can now throw some change at your favorite open source projects and maintainers. And I just found this out today. GitHub will match, I think it's up to $5,000 per project, uh, or I guess it's, I guess they define a project as a repo but wow that's
0: oh yeah they're right they write to supercharge community funding github created the github sponsors matching fund which matches up to five thousand per sponsored developer in their first year of sponsorship make it rain baby so what's what's your take on this I mean is this um is this a good thing it it seems like Yes, in the the sense that we want open source projects to be sustainable and for developers putting a lot of hard time and effort into doing this. Does it make you at all nervous that this is further centralizing and entrenching GitHub as
1: the only place to do open source software development? So I like this idea. And yes, it is further centralizing GitHub. Uh, But I think it was eventually going to become a natural monopoly. Things consolidate. That just seems to be the nature of our industry. I I still think on balance, and I actually don't think the consolidation is too bad in this case, people are providing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of value with these open source projects and not being compensated. And, you know, I know there's like the whole beard, Unix beard philosophy thing, but that does not pay your rent or buy you food. So yes, you should give them some money. And if this is an easy way to give them some money since you are basically piggybacking backing on the work they've already done i am all for that
0: yeah and i suppose it maybe it does make it easier if you are a um, company or other developer who already right has a github account you don't have to go use some sketchy third party service that you have to sign up for and give the credit card details to in order to send a couple dollars someone's way if you're already on github you, you probably already trust it and they have a lot of your details already That sounds like a pretty low barrier to entry. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it seems like those little tiny details are what gets in the way of a donation or not.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious to see how successful this is after the initial hype period. Um, Well, I'll put the question to you, Wes. Do you think GitHub, which is, of course, Microsoft, um, is maybe gaining too much influence on the open source community as a whole?
0: You know, there was some other news um, right there. They... They have some more dependency tracking and upgrading stuff uh, that they announced recently as well. It's becoming a very full-featured platform, and it's clear Microsoft cares a lot about it. I mean, they, they paid a fair amount for it, but it seems like it's, it's developing and releasing stuff at an even faster pace now, and it's becoming a very nice spot to be. On one hand, it seems like they're giving more away for free. Um, you know, there is more features that you can use, and they're being very friendly to open-source communities and projects. I I still have this little feeling in the back of my mind that makes me just like a little bit nervous about it. Um, I'm curious if we'll see any more good faith moves, you know, maybe some open source releases from some of the GitHub code base um, or or some of their their tools. Microsoft does seem to be playing that game. And I don't really doubt their intentions. Uh, It just, it, it just seems so, so centralized. Like it's, there is such a pressure to be there. Eventually, if prices get ratcheted back up, what happens, right? I mean, are, do you lose this stuff, or do you have to go then get out of GitHub? I don't really have an end game there. I'm I'm not personally that worried about it. It's not going to change my day-to-day habits, but every time there's a feature, I can't be just excited for it, and I don't like that.
1: I mean, I, I don't see how they would have any pricing power, because, you know, um, some time ago, we did have the GitLab CEO on here, and... You know, we at TMP do use GitLab as well. It does exist, right? It's very good.
0: It is very good, yes. That is absolutely that is absolutely true. But is it, I mean, does it have the same sort of discovery? I mean, GitHub's a name you know, even if you don't do software very much. And I don't know that GitLab can say the same.
1: So the, the integration for GitHub that would scare me is if they integrated it with LinkedIn and GitHub became basically how you get employed as a... You know kind of kind of starting out developer engineer whichever term we choose to use trying to break into the industry because one day recruiters are going to figure github out they don't seem to have yet but it's going to happen and if they ever do that may god have mercy on those of us that ever emails public
0: oh boy i'm uh i'm scared for bad recruiting emails already oh yeah yeah i guess we're just gonna have to wait and see and i mean don't get me wrong Probably I should just be happy about this. It, if, it, if it nets more money in the hands of open-source developers, if it makes more open-source projects sustainable, well, that's just got to be a good thing. Now, okay, moving right along, something I think I have a little bit more right to be skeptical about maybe, and, and maybe you can help here because this is over in the C-sharp area and that's Mr. Dominic's domain, but it's lying to the compiler now the compiler supposed to be our friend right it's supposed to be there to guide us and say oh oh hey buddy you got that wrong or you missed that edge case but sometimes you gotta lie or at least play some games to get things to work right
1: yeah so john Ski, very very famous very very talented uh dotnet developer i think he's like number one on stack overflow for questions wrote this great post lying to the compiler uh, for those who don't know, C sharp eight is adding nullable references, uh, technically nullable reference types. We've talked a little bit on this here show. We did, we did. If you've done Swift at all, it's basically it's not exactly like optionals, but it, it, for the purposes of this conversation, it functions like optionals, right? Just it's fine. Um, and in fact, it has the same syntax: question marks and exclamation points. So, unfortunately, turns out if you have like large code bases and you upgrade them to C-sharp 8, guess what the compiler does, Wes? I imagine it gives you all kinds of crap. Yeah, it gives you a bunch of warnings, which it's pretty common in the .NET world to treat warnings as errors. So basically, you can't like build or deploy. Right. Suddenly, all these things break up your build,
0: Little little light goes red somewhere, and you're going, what's happening? And How do I make sense of it?
1: You know, I've been talking about, more in the context of Swift, because Swift was kind of what made this mainstream, You know, it's obviously good if something could possibly be null to, like, handle that case. Right.
0: The compiler is sort of to force you to think about it
1: instead of making you do it yourself. Right. Which I think is is great. But I also predicted that this is exactly what's going to happen, right? Eventually, people would just be like, wow, this is actually a tremendous pain in the ass, and I have a ton of code that's already written, so let me pull a bunch of tricks to basically get around that. Um, And that's what John Skeet is writing about. And it's a very thoughtful blog post. I'm not going to summarize the whole thing, but I I would strongly recommend, even if you're not a .NET developer, that you check it out. Yeah, this is a problem, right? Um, I've been writing a lot of Swift recently, and I can tell you that just kind of looking at some open source projects I was evaluating a lot of people are just going around this crap.
0: Rather than doing a, a larger refactoring that would have this architected in, in like a cleaner way? Is this is this just because of old code, or is it something inherent to some of the, the new styles?
1: Yeah, it seems in the .NET world, there's just tons of old code that doesn't play nice with this. Um, but even like I'm looking at things that are recently recently written, that let's say last six months in the Swift world, which obviously this was a Swift 1.0 thing five years ago, so... And, you know, sometimes it is just the case that you want to force unwrap something, right? Uh, which is, again, the Swift terminology. Sure, it's annoying and stuff, but could one
0: argue that really this is just telling you that your old code was fundamentally unsound?
1: Mm, yeah, I, I don't actually know what I think about that yet. You know, there, there is a big philosophical question here of should your code be 100% safe
0: we all have run into problems with you know where we should have been checking for null values or we didn't understand the the exact semantics of, of the value you, we were talking about but clearly I mean just based on your experiences and, and and John's experiences there's also cases where that sort of level of certainty goes beyond like we've already we've figured out our own ways of dealing with that already and internalized them so there's some areas where we have problems and we need more rigorous checking. And there's some other areas where we could be more rigorous, but in practice, it just doesn't matter as much. And adding those extra checks, at least with our current compiler technology, adds an onerous burden on top.
1: Yeah. And I would also add that I think as new patterns or even existing patterns are modified to more embrace this, uh, let's say, null-aware or safety-aware programming style, these things will be less of an issue
0: i mean right like uh with kotlin for instance since they've had that from the start you, you you're seeing there there was less old code at least for stuff developed kotlin first now interrupt that's another story
1: yeah well kotlin's actually the perfect example Wes. right as soon as you interop with a classic java library it's like a holy crap <laughs> you know oh hello there Noel.
0: yes oh no Ooh, there you are yeah that's interesting well, definitely go check out that post if you are someone playing with some of these new uh, fancier type systems and, and null-checking abilities, and just because uh, John Skeet's blog posts are always enlightening. Speaking of language styles and different ways of programming, Mike, you've had a fun idea for the next couple of shows, and I think it's great. It all stems from a book by Bruce A. Tate,
1: Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. That's right. Friend of the show um, and longtime listener Sean McBride has been tweeting about this and blogging about. He is doing this uh, challenge, which comes from this book. Where, and I read this book years ago. Um, basically, you do somewhat non-trivial, but not super hard exercises in seven languages over seven weeks. And the book has seven prescribed languages that are very much a artifact of when it was written. And I'd like to twist this a bit, Wes, for us.
0: Oh, tell me more.
1: So, starting now. For the next seven weeks, I will pick a language for you to to study up on and do an example in uh oh and you will pick one for me now, a couple of rules something something tells me I know what the first one's going to be Oh I can't imagine what <laughs> uh, so it has to be something we can do on our on our standard oss right, which I think we both run. Uh, linux and i run mac so that
0: okay so no like legacy small talk vms or or anything crazy obscure
1: yeah no legacy small talk no like old basic that someone would have to yeah
0: okay yeah that's that's fair
1: yeah and that's it so other than the idea would be we'd each come with a little example maybe we throw it on a a github gist and can share it on the show if we have that ability
0: and will we be trying to implement maybe the, the same challenge each week or something
1: I think that's good. We should actually just have a default challenge that we're implementing. I don't know, maybe something like scraping Twitter for mentions of code radio. I have no idea.
0: Yeah, we could maybe also pick one of those, uh, those fun advent of code
1: challenges. Oh, that's good. I like that.
0: Yeah, right. Something that's a little bit fun, but stresses some built-in data structures or some of the, you know, main constructs of the languages and uh, perhaps even a little concurrency.
1: Damn, Wes is making it
0: hard. All right. I mean, we don't have to go that far, but I I guess we'll figure it out as we go along. But Wes, have you thought of a language for me? Mm. Oh, see, I don't know if I want to save it for the end or if I should just start off with something, you know, like a a little bit easier. It's up to you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I I think I have thought of one. Should we announce them now? Go for it. Well, all right, Mr. Dominic. I'd like you to try
1: Elixir. Elixir, I, I am shocked at that. I mean,
0: I'm just curious what you take from, uh, you know, maybe you can try playing with Phoenix, which is their um, seemingly excellent web framework. I'd be curious to hear what you think as someone who's done a lot of Rails, because I think those two developer communities in particular have a lot in common.
1: Okay, okay. So what, what will I be playing with? Well, I'm going to start with something easy. I would like you to try TypeScript. Oh, okay.
0: I like it. Excellent. All right, so we'll have to decide on some challenges. We'll uh, we'll find something good that we both agree seems seems like fun and demonstrates you know some strengths or weaknesses of the particular language chosen, and just make sure you come back here for Coder Radio three hundred and sixty. We'll have our first report. Woot! Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's a great idea. I'm excited, and we'll we'll keep announcing what we're doing, and uh, we'll tweet about whatever challenge we decide on, and that way you guys out there in the audience, why why not join us? Pick one of the two, do both, and uh, we'll all have a lot of fun.
1: Grant, And I think we should keep the repos open, too, so people can laugh at my Elixir.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we're going to embarrass ourselves for sure. Oh, yeah. This is going to be bad. Something tells me the way smarter and more knowledgeable audience will show up and test us straight. I think so. All right. Well, we better get out of here because uh, I got to go install TypeScript.
1: I got to install Elixir. What the hell is Elixir run on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. You got to go figure that out. I'm, I'm curious to see what you think already i think i'm going to be reading a lot so (laughs) i think you will that'll do it for this episode we've got lots to do but you know you can find more of this show at coder.show we've got the whole backlog maybe go check out 343 which is the episode where we previously talked about c sharp 8.0 and the nullable reference types or hey go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and find all the other great shows on the network you can also find us both on Twitter. I'm at West Payne and Mr. Dominic. You're at Dimanuco. The networks there too, of course, at Jupiter Signal. Thank you all for joining us. You can also catch us live every Monday, just about at twelve p.m. Pacific. Head on over to JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar to convert that to a time zone near you. Thanks for joining. We'll see you right here next time.